What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk. Happy Monday, first show of the week. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, who also covers the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Second half of a home-and-home with the Red Wings coming up at Rogers Arena tonight at 7. Lots to get into today on the show, uh, including, I guess we'll start here with a little bit of roster news and what the implications could be. Spencer Martin, Canucks goalie, placed on waivers today. Now he will, yeah, when he's in that kind of waivers. Uh, well, he's backing up tonight. Limbo, yeah, he's still backing Rick up. Rick Tockett confirmed. Still backing up. Spencer Martin will back up tonight, despite being on waivers. Well, I, I was trying to come up with the term. Uh, DFA'd. <laughs> yes. DFA'd. Um, yes, I he's wanted a, the he, acronym. He's in limbo, basically. It's like, you're, but, you're like going they, down to the HL, but you're still here. So this has been something like, they did this with Lane Peterson, too, yes. and I don't really understand it. Because what if, like, Lane Peterson was claimed, mm-hmm. and the Canucks knew that Mikheyev was getting shut down, and obviously they were about to make a Bo Horvat trade, and one assumes they had an understanding that there were reinforcements coming in. So space on the roster made sense. Okay, fine. But, you know, what if tonight Colin Delia gets injured, and Spencer Martin gets forced into the game, and then gets claimed on waivers tomorrow? Yeah, Demko and Silovs, <laughs> like like that. You know, like that. What, what what then? Like, why would you not protect yourself against? It's not like you play tomorrow, or like you don't play again till Wednesday. You could have waived him tomorrow. You don't have to activate Thatcher Demko tomorrow. Martin's still going to be backing up. I just don't get it. Like, I truly just think that's odd timing, um, and perhaps there's a reason for it. You know. Meanwhile, Spencer Martin. So. I think Spencer Martin's an NHL goalie, and I know that's a tough argument to make considering he's lost 10 in a row in regulation and not played well. The The context of what we're seeing from Spencer Martin is just so different than the context we were expecting to see him in this year in terms totally. of playing time. Right? Like that. Well, and and, there, and how bad very, this team is defensively. It's very fair to make criticisms of Spencer Martin's game. Like the numbers are just not good. They're out, they not are good they at are. all. No. We can all look at them, we can all watch the performance. But you have to think about it in the context of this is a guy who they were hoping could play like 25 games spaced out over the entire season for them who was forced into 1A type usage. And that's hard. That's a really hard adjustment for a player to make. So I don't think you can write off Spencer Martin as a part, as a piece of the organization. You know, he's on a cheap contract for next year. I think he still figures into the backup conversation for next season. This shouldn't be the end of his time as a potentially useful piece for the Canucks because you have to keep in mind the context and the usage, which was just completely different than anybody was any expe- ever expecting him to get. Yeah, and this team is so permissive defensively that yep. it's really hard to sort of adjust for it. Like, let, let's consider the Martin versus Delia conversation really quickly, right? Delia has three wins in Rick Tockett's tenure. Spencer Martin has zero. Those wins have come against Chicago... Columbus, and an Islanders comeback victory that ended what? 6-5? 6-5. 6-5. Is that like, 
are those really wins that you wouldn't have got with Spencer Martin and Nett? Come on. Come on. Meanwhile, M- Martin's losses are against New Jersey. Or no, Delia Start played that game. Sorry. The Rangers, mm-hmm. which Seattle. was one of their worst defensive games of the year. That Seattle loss in Seattle where they got clobbered. You know, I mean, Detroit, you would have, obviously he didn't play well enough against Detroit the other night, but... Yeah, Seattle. You know, even against Detroit, though, where I I did think was a notably poor performance, or even against Detroit, you know those power play goals, like those are coming off of cross seam passes. No, or, I know. In, in, in I think one case, multiple cross seam passes. Well, and I thought the first, I thought of the first two, like the the neither of them were soft. Both of those were bad breakdowns. I I believe that Spencer Martin's an NHL goalie, and I'm curious to see how the next 24 hours unfold for this gentleman. Now, clearly, his game is a little bit lost, right? Goalies go through this where they're not sure if they should be aggressive or not. And then when they are aggressive, they get backdoored. And then you kind of lose your game a bit. And Martin's game has slipped. And I think partly that's been overuse. I think that's lack of confidence. I think the environment that the Canucks put goaltenders in is completely unfair. Uh, Delia, Martin, Demko have all looked, you know, beyond human, like (laughs) poor this season behind this defense. And I'm here to tell you that it's not a coincidence. Now. Martin's on a 750k contract for this year and next, and while his last 10 games have been abysmal, his 10 games before that were phenomenal. And I'm curious to see if a team might look at his deal and look at his game and say, you know, it's not going to be, like, he's not a game changer for us, but this is right now a free league minimum, you know, fringe NHL option that we can add to our stable and and a couple teams loom large in particular here for me. One is the LA, uh, sorry, the Vegas Golden Knights, who've got Laurent Brossois and Aiden Hill sort of uh, filling in for Logan Thompson. Um, we know that Laurent Brossois has sort of like already lost yep. the trust of that organization. Um, I don't know if that's one where you'd really consider like a um, a waiver claim, considering that. But that I mean, they just waive Brossois again. But do they want another look? Would the Canucks consider tra- a trade with Martin and Brossois changing hands, considering Brossois costs more but is expiring? Um, local guy, maybe he can give them a lift in- at backup or at least a lift down in Abbotsford. Is that something you'd you'd look at? That's one that looms large to me. And then the other one that's interesting, Matt Murray, of course, just hit IR. And Joseph Wall is on the roster in Toronto, uh, backing up Ilya Sams- uh, Samsonov. We know that the Toronto Maple Leafs have a goalie coach who worked hand-in-hand and rehabilitated Martin's game last season in Curtis Sanford. That's a team in need of depth, and that's a team that would have zero issues um, bringing in like a one-way 750K salary for a a guy who's got a reputation for being a good dude. Um, My question there would be, would Toronto not prefer perhaps for him to clear waivers and then do one of those freebie trades? Like, like, um, you know... um, future considerations that are in fact you know or give a contract back or something something like that well they'd right? love to give a contract yeah. back i don't think the i don't know yeah. why the canucks would do that i guess to save 750k if they could in the minors um but yeah i mean the, the martin is not because of the attractiveness of martin's contract if he can fix himself at all and even just be like a low-end 2b <laughs> He's still value because of how inflated backup goaltender salaries are. He is not necessarily a gimme to clear, even though he's lost 10 straight, even though he's struggled to this extent. That contract is so appealing um, or so potentially appealing if he can bounce back at all. 
uh, that, you know, I, I'm not, I, I would gauge this one as being like 65% likely he clears, but 35% likely he doesn't. Like, that's a pretty high probability of, of a claim. Yeah, and the goalie market on waivers is always a little wonky. Because it's so dependent on the exact, so few positions, like, the circumstances right now, yeah, right now, exactly. For a given right. team, we're gonna say, "Oh yeah. man, we might just ask Eric Comrie if it had happened a week ago, we wouldn't have needed to claim this guy, but now we do need to claim this guy, so we're going to." So That's you right. never quite know with goalies. I mean, yeah, I think sixty-five, thirty-five, seventy, thirty. Would I? I would still predict that he clears, but you never really know. And then you look to the long term, and as you said, look, look, the reasons why teams might be interested in claiming Spencer Martin are still reasons why he could potentially play a role for the Canucks in the future. And, you know, Colin Delia is a UFA after this season. Obviously, Spencer Martin has one more year left on his deal. And I would look at it. Let's say Spencer Martin does play the remainder of the season in Abbotsford. If he performs well, if he starts to rebuild that confidence, I think he's absolutely going to be in the mix to be the backup, right? To try to have the season next year that... We all expected him to have this year backing up a healthy Thatcher Demko. It's not a guarantee. He's obviously hurt his stock within the organization. But to me, that's still kind of what you're looking at with Spencer Martin is a guy who's going to come in and battle for the backup spot next training camp. That's yeah. what I would expect if he sticks around in the organization today. Well, and then and then we need to see what happens. Um, you know, obviously Martin confirmed to be backing up today, but Demko clearly is getting real close. Practiced in full on Sunday, took part in scrimmages, uh, still hasn't met with the media to discuss his absence. I know the team has been slow playing his return in terms of waiting for, you know, more than the injury that flared up to, like, be 100%, mm-hmm. like, do, do some extra in-season rehab, right? There's a variety of reasons why it makes sense to slow play Demko's return. The club has leaned into that. And yet, you know, we keep hearing that teams are calling on Demko, and if you're going to do something in season, like, let's talk about goalies and, and in season trades. Sure. Since Dwayne Rollison was acquired by the Edmonton Oilers and they went to the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> All right. Mid season goalie trades, mid season goalie acquisitions have not exactly gone well for, for the buyers, mm-hmm. right? Mark Andre Fleury last year, the Wild lost in six in the first round. Ryan Miller, when the Blues traded for him. Out of Buffalo, they were also eliminated in six in the first round. Like, this has not gone well for the midseason goalie trade uh, for a playoff team. And I think there's a reason for it. Like, I think there's a lot to process and a lot to become comfortable with playing behind an NHL team in really high-stakes games. And, you know, three weeks of hockey might not be enough to really settle in and be capable of, you know, competing with those teams who have real alignment between goaltender and defense core. All of that said, you're definitely like there's definitely no edge to doing an in-season goalie trade if you're the Canucks shopping Thatcher Demko, considering how hesitant buyers would be on the market anyway. Unless he they get a chance to see him play, what six games, five games? Yeah. Well, we're up up against it then. There's eight games left till the deadline. If this is even eight something, games including tonight, where he's not going to where he's not going to dress. So if this is even something the Canucks are considering, Demko needs to play. Five of seven, six of seven, and if he doesn't, then this storyline's not even one to monitor ahead of the deadline. Like there's not going to be any win net. Like you're not getting anything close to a reasonable price for this player if he 
can't be at a level where he convinces a, a contender that he's a he's an upgrade today over a Phoenix Copley or over, over a Casey DeSmith or like the logic of you getting anything close to even 80 cents on the dollar for a guy who was 14 months ago considered an untouchable franchise pillar rests on him being able in a team's mind to help put them over the top. And the only way we even get close to that is if Demko plays minimum, minimum five or six yeah. between now and March And 3rd. the interesting thing with the idea of ramping Demko up right to that sort of workload, you know, five of six, six of seven, something like that, I will say, obviously, ne- not necessarily how you draw up bringing a, a, a franchise goalie back from injury, especially when you have been so cautious getting him back on the ice. After the Rangers game on Wednesday, the schedule thins out quite a bit. You got the two days off, then Philly on Saturday, then two more days off. There's no back-to-backs. There's another stretch between Dallas and Minnesota where you have a couple of extra days. So there are it, it is it's not a taxing schedule. Now it's a little bit of travel in there. You're on the road for a couple games, then back, then back out on the road. So, you know, but could you do five of seven in that stretch for Thatcher Demko? Let's say Demko was ready to return. Uh, for Wednesday's game, yeah, I think you could pretty easily get him five of seven without feeling like you were really pushing things too much. Now, having said that, it does still seem very much like a long shot uh, that Thatcher Demko is going to be moved before the deadline based on the injury situation. And, you know, we don't know how much he is going to play before the trade deadline. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. There's more Trade discussion that I do want to get into, and we'll hear from Luke Shen. He spoke to the media. No game day skate ahead of uh, the game against the Red Wings oh, tonight. Oh, right. But let me let me tell people this, because I was in the Canucks locker room. I walked over to Rogers Arena before coming to the studio, and not a lot of Canucks players skated. There was no skate, but there were a few players skating with Delia and Demko. Mm-hmm. So this is the rinse skate, as I like to call it, which would imply that those are the players not playing. Now, again... Rick Tockett's relatively new. I'm not quite used to the rhythms of like how he runs a, you know, um, mandatory no ice <laughs> game day. But what I'll tell you is that if you're if you're on the ice in those circumstances, you're far far from likely to be in the lineup based on how the Canucks or based on how NHL teams typically operate and how they prize rest. The players who were shooting on the goaltenders. Or, and we're not in the locker room, or whose gear was not in the locker room. Uh, Burroughs and Dermott, which would make sense. Lockwood. Okay. And Studnika. So that would imply very strongly... That seems like a pretty safe bet to be... That those guys, your scratches, and Kuzmenko will not have gasoline poured on the fire of the conversation around <laughs> him at the moment. He'll be in the lineup. Which which does bring us to uh, the big conversation, and it starts with Kuzmenko, but I also think it's interesting, you know, we're still in such early days with Rick Tockett. I know you wrote about this at The Athletic today as well with Harmon. It, it can be hard to learn too much about, you know, how the team's adjusting to him, systems, all of that. Separate that from just, hey, it's a new coach bump, and the team seems to be playing a little bit better under him. But one thing you can start to read into pretty quickly is the usage and the deployment and what that tells us about those players, about how Tockett sees them, about the direction the team is going, maybe even some of the plans they have heading into the trade deadline or heading into the offseason as well. And obviously Kuzmenko is, I think, the number one talking point when it comes to that because he had had so much success playing with Elias Pettersson under Bruce Boudreau. He was such a fixture there, and then all of a sudden he's lost that spot, and not just lost that spot, but like gone somewhere else in the top six and continued to play. Lost that premium spot, 
and continued to fall in terms of ice time. I believe he was actually the low the low man in terms of ice time uh, in Saturday's game against the Red Wings. So that's a really interesting one to monitor. And, you know, we've heard talk it focus on the conditioning of the team. Obviously, there's maybe still some questions about the defensive uh, ability of Kuzmenko. But I do wonder do, how much of think, it is. Do you think the fitness of the team talking point was targeted at any individual players whose ice time has slipped, like a, like a Andre Kuzmenko? I don't know. I don't know that it was necessarily, or was it a whole team thing? I think it might have been a little more than that. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, I have a general complaint with the fitness of this team, but also there's some players who are worse than others. Well, <laughs> you know I, mean, I mean, that's, that's yeah. definitely true. <laughs> um, by the way, by the way, the new coach coming in and implying that the fitness level of the team is off considering the storyline around the medical staff, considering that part of, you know, the changes were to the athletic training staff, I think is notable. It's another data point on like, yikes, were those changes the right ones for this organization? Oh, and I think it also goes back to the conversation about, you know, practice habits and, I just think, and all of those things that we've heard from Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford about how Bruce Boudreau was running the team. More than anything, like, there have been times where, and you know my general song and dance has been like, eh, the injury thing, we make too much out of timelines, and, like, the human body is, yep. you know? Like, I'm not one to make an easy, like, point, score an easy, like, epe, um, fencing point off of something like this, but... At some point, the body of evidence becomes overwhelming, right? Like at some point, you've got what? I mean, Dem if Demko's on the poise of uh, or on the precipice of returning, we're looking at what 10, 13? Yeah, but how do you separate that from them purposely slow playing? Well, you, you so that's a good point. But if it was only one data point, I'd be like, I sure. can't tell, right? When you add it to the Pearson thing, when you add it to the the Besser infection, when you add it to all of the other stuff that's been around the team, and the Pe Pearson one, obviously is the major storyline there uh it becomes something that i think becomes fair to note when it becomes notable when it, when it's worth doing so it's also interesting because i wouldn't necessarily say that like if you if you think you have a team with poor conditioning what are you looking for probably flagging play in the third period and i wouldn't necessarily say we've seen that well no Rick but Tocchet. we've seen oh, sorry not the third period i would tell you this i would say end of periods mm. end of periods closing out periods Right, the fitter teams get an advantage in open play late in periods. That's somewhere where the Twins and the Canucks used to clean up. How many times the the backbreaker goal in the yeah, last in minute the of periods? Minute. Like the fittest teams in Canucks history owned minutes, you know, eighteen through twenty, period after period. How many times has the inverse been true for this team? Yeah. Uh, how many? True. How the, many? Giving up the backbreaking goal late in the period. Now, having said that, they've also, uh, you know, they didn't start on time, obviously, in Detroit <laughs> on Saturday. That's been an issue for them as well. Yeah. Right? Although, giving oh, up the early goal. So, did they play guess that? Guess what? They give up goals a lot. Did they? <laughs> different well, times of different periods. That's what I'm saying. Did they play that badly or did they just, you know what I mean? It's not like. Yeah. Like, for the most part, this team has not played badly. I don't badly. know how much we have to, like, slice the periods into different segments to discover, discover that the Canucks give up a lot of goals. It's like, oh, you're telling me in the middle of periods they give up a lot? Yeah, you don't say. They're one of the most permissive defensive teams in the NHL. Interesting. Funny how that works. Um, you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> I, I'm loath to admit it, but click hole meme. Yes. 
Wow, I've been I've been downgraded to worst person you the know. The worst person I know <laughs> has made a great point. Tough, tough, <laughs> tough. Wow. Um, sorry, sorry. You've you've supplanted Dan Riccio. Yes, I was gonna say uh, that's actually the joke, literally the joke I was about to make. That <laughs> I've knocked Dan Riccio <laughs> off his pedestal for you. Um, but back to the, the the discussion, and again, it's kind of centers around Kuzmenko. But there's an, an interesting discussion, and we'll get into it throughout the course of the show about who's getting more ice time, who's getting less ice time under Rick Talkin, and what that might mean and with Kuzmenko I guess the question for me is how much of it is specifically about what Tockett sees as Kuzmenko's deficiencies whether it's defensively whether it's in terms of conditioning and how much of it is we want to give opportunities to other guys we want to give Brock Besser an opportunity to put up some stats before the deadline we want to give Connor Garland a run in the top six we just acquired Anthony Beauvillier, who might be an asset down the road. We so like him with you're, Patterson. You're talking about the Tockett deployment changes yeah. as deadline showcases. Yes. Yeah. Is that, to what degree, if at all, is that part of the story? Or is it just about, hey, I'm not a big fan of Andre Kuzmenko's game? It's an interesting point. I, I mean, I can get really deep down this rabbit hole. Do we want to save it for the other side of the break? Should we talk about alternate theories to explain Rick Tockett's deployment? In in segment two? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, let's do Luke Shen and, and alternate theories, segment two. All right, we'll take an early break here with that tease. Theories about the usage that Rick Tockett... Uh, oh, boy. If that's if that's not a cliffhanger that's going to keep you around, we'll also reveal... <laughs> I don't know. Like, what's a classic soap opera? Like, <laughs> Jamie will also wake from his coma and, the, uh, <laughs> and the, identify the person who say, hit him with his car. <laughs> Identify the uh, the paternity of a, of a baby <laughs> of the reveal of the baby the Mori Povich paternity is it, test is it the Russian ambassador <laughs> find out on segment two Canucks talk that is right six fifty six fifty keep your thoughts coming in more Canucks talk coming up on Sportsnet six fifty. <laughs> Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Is everyone on the internet still mad about a hold that clearly was a hold? That the guy admitted was a hold? That, like, absolutely was a hold? Like... What is this, by the way? I think him admitting it. No, because then people are like, well, you still can't call it then. Well, that's And just it's like, well, when are you ever going to call it then? No, no, no. But it's a completely different level of discussion if he didn't stand up and hold himself accountable. But you could tell that he had been beaten on a route and held yeah, the and he guy. The jersey. He, and he didn't get away with it. So what? Man. I agree. That The idea that that's like a legendarily bad Super Bowl call is Wild. No, I here's the thing. It wasn't a bad call. I understand people being disappointed that the call happened, right? Because it sapped a lot of the drama out of the end of the game. Sure. I understand that. The idea that like, oh, the Chiefs and the refs, they're you know, they're back at it together again. Like, no, come on. Get out of here. They, they Can you put on the game? Call. Come on, Dom. 
You didn't like you didn't like this talk, Dom. It's literally the Super Bowl yesterday. What's, what's what's funny is what's funny is Dom tailed my seven and a half to one. And this is how he repays you. And this is how he repays. <laughs> this me. is how he repays you. It was the Super Bowl, and I won you money. You're welcome. Anyways, the we'll, name we'll, of the show. Yeah, we'll, we'll, what's the name we'll of get the back to it? The name of the uh, it, sorry. You you're telling me that debating refereeing in a championship game is inconsistent with Canucks talk? Wow. Are you are, are you new here? Well done. <laughs> Thank you. We really should have done like uh what what Patrick Mahomes second Super Bowl win means for the Canucks or something. We should have cooked up <laughs> a take a take along those lines to uh to I, tie well, it in to Canucks talk. I w- I will say on my walk into the rink today cuz I was like feeling the Super Bowl letdown. Right, like I, I spend so much time on football season, and now it's over. And I was walking, and I was like, you know, it would be amazing to cover games like that. But I cover, and I was trying to think, like, who are the Canucks in NFL terms? Like, who's the best Ooh. analogy to the Canucks? And I think historically, it's the Chargers. Okay, but at the moment, I think it's the Texans. No, they're they're better than the Texans. Are they? You would say that, right? Because what are the Texans picking? Second? Yeah, yeah, just Canucks. not first. Canucks aren't going to pick second. No, you're right. But like that's it's a different thing in in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, no, I, I I understand. It's hard to do those cross sports uh comparisons. Yes. It uh, is. Hold on. We get we gave such a great tease. Such a great teaser sure. before the break. And Canucks Army Cody texts in uh, it was decent. alternate theories on deployment sounds like a history channel revisionist history <laughs> conspiracy show. <laughs> so so that's what we'll get into. We'll get into some of Drancer's alternate theories. On Rick Tockett's well, no. deployment. I'm just... Okay, the Canucks are the Arizona Cardinals. Let's go with that. I can see that. Or the Colts. The Colts are pretty sad. Oh, no. Sorry. It's the, the Colts Broncos. have won, It's though. the Broncos. You see, the Colts and Broncos... The Broncos won recently. I think... I think... Yeah. So, so Rager Tech's and the Bills, who are too good now. Way too good. But historically, like, the the history of heartbreak... The and Sabres winning, are the Bills. ...not getting over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one says the Canucks are the Raiders. No, because we don't relocate every two years. Yeah, but the Raiders is kind of interesting. No. Like, there's talent there, but they just can't get out of their own way. <laughs> there's a notoriously rambunctious fan base. <laughs> okay. Let's get off this topic. Let's get into it. Okay. Let me let me run down four, five Canucks deployment changes. I'm going to go All five right. Canucks deployment changes right. that make me go, hmm. Okay. Okay, ready? Riley Stillman signed this year and next at just over 1.3 million. Mm-hmm. Has played 16 minutes a game at five on five since Rick Tockett took over. Up about two and a half minutes. He might be the guy who's up the most under Rick Tockett. Now, part of that is that Hughes got injured for a segment of a game and Shen got injured for a segment of the game, and we're only talking about a seven game sample. So that sort of helps. But clearly, Stillman has earned a fair bit of trust under Tockett, and is playing more. And yet, and yet, let me give you another Stillman stat. In seven games since Tockett took over, three defensive zone starts. For Stillman, despite the increase in minutes. Wow. Do you know who the next closest Canucks defenseman is? It's Ethan Bear. Okay. Do you want to know? Do you want to guess the number? No. It's 10. Okay. So, massive outlier, usage-wise, Riley Stillman. Is that a showcase? It sounds like it. Question or at least mark has the potential to be. I'm 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 not answering yes or no. I'm asking the questions. <laughs> now, 
Brock Besser leads all Canucks skaters in five-on-five ice time since Rick Tockett took over by a fair bit. Obviously, we know he's been productive, but he's playing with Pedersen and flirting with some power play one minutes on, on a more regular basis. Brock Besser's agent has permission to seek a trade. That news really broke after, you know, the, the, the Wild and the Devils were involved. Mm-hmm. That news really broke after Besser came back from the All-Star break and was on the third line, even though Bo Horvat had been traded. Now he's been bumped up the lineup, seems to still be on the block. Is that a showcase? Question mark. That, I would say, is a showcase. Like, that to me is the clear-cut one. Okay. Where it's like, we're... I'm just asking the questions. I know, I know. I'm, <laughs> and I'm answering them. No, sorry. I thought we were doing a bit. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Connor Garland. Minutes are actually flat for Connor Garland. Okay. But he's playing regularly with JT Miller. Seems to have carved out a, a, a more predictable top six niche with one of Vancouver's most skilled players. Considering the amount of time he spent with the likes of Sheldon Dries this season, that's a dramatic upgrade in fortune. Um, still not playing power play one, but he's had a, a really good run of games under Rick Tockett, a coach that he's very familiar with from their shared time in Arizona. And to add to the Connor Garland, is it a showcase point? He's playing beside JT Miller. JT Miller, his minutes are down almost 110 seconds a game at five on five. Still heavily used on both the PK and the power play. His special teams deployment unchanged. But his even strength deployment is way down. And it's not just different in terms of overall volume. It's also different in terms of how and when he's hitting the ice. On this recent road trip, and granted they were on the road, and we'll see how sticky this proves Mm -hmm. with Detroit in town today. You know, last three games that the Canucks played, for example... JT Miller's primary matchups were Vincent Trocek, JP Pajot, Andrew Kopp. That's good players. But Pedersen's were Zabanajad, Bo Horvat, and Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin. So clearly, one guy is now like Miller's gone from being one of the most used forwards in hockey at five on five to being sixth among Canucks skaters in five on five ice time a game. His competition has been ramped down, and here's the most remarkable part. In seven games since Rick Tockett took over, JT Miller has started six shifts in the defensive end of the rink, Connor Garland five. JT Miller's being used in sheltered deployment. Sheltered middle six deployment right now under Rick Tockett. And the results, by the way, have been great. Their underlying numbers are phenomenal. But Garland slash Miller, is it a showcase? I'm not going to answer. Why? You told you kept telling me not to answer. Well, no, that that was the bit. <laughs> Is it a showcase? Okay. okay. That one's harder to I'm answer. I'm just asking the questions. <laughs> you got me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you didn't even want to do it. Are you done? <laughs> I don't know. I let me let me think. <laughs> um that's it. Yeah, no. That those okay. the, so I only had do four. I, do you want to run through them here and I'll like so Stillman Here's my Stillman, yes. Besser, yes. Garland and Miller, harder to say. I like Garland feels feels to me more like the coach knows him and has had success with him. It's like great, a player I can rely on who's predictable and I know what I'm gonna get from him. And Miller, it feels like to me, 
I, don't, I wouldn't say a showcase as much as it is Rick Tockett figuring out how to get how he's going to be successful with JT Miller, figuring out where he can play him and where he can't play him. Amazing right? how quickly then that Tockett has figured out Miller and Pedersen. Like, he came in being like, my job is to get Pedersen third line minutes, like minutes against bottom six competition. And the very first game that Rick Tockett coached, Pedersen was hard matched against Sam Lafferty. Mm-hmm. While, while Bo Horvat drew Patrick Kane and JT Miller drew Jonathan Taves. And we'll see how it goes tonight. Like, I talked to Brock Besser today, and he was like, well, we'll, we'll know more tonight. <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if this is a trend that continues, that would be record time. Like, within seven games, figuring out, hey, this team needs to rely on Pedersen as, like, a hard minutes guy who starts in the defensive zone. Like, let, let, let me give you this context. Well, oh, sorry, JT, just, Miller, JT yeah. Miller, six defensive zone draws in seven games under Tockett. Elias Pedersen, 13. Is that not a massive departure from what you'd have expected? Yeah, well, especially because, as you said, right, when Rick Tockett came in, it wasn't, oh, I'm going to use Pedersen in this role. It was, I'm going to try to find to get him those easier minutes against team's third lines, put him in offensive situations, and that's been completely flipped. And I I do think the other thing we're seeing, and this reminds me again of the, the close relationship between Rick Tockett and Travis Green and some of the similarities in their coaching style, is just Tockett is going to be... You know, whether this is related to quote-unquote showcasing players or what, Tockett is going to be more disciplined about how he uses certain players than Bruce Boudreau was going to. So we're going to see that play more. And the thing with JT Miller, it's hard for me to believe that it's really a showcase just because they gave him that contract. It would be so hard to move before the deadline. It just feels like such a remote possibility. I just think it's Rick Tockett probably looking at the roster and saying, okay, with the way things are currently set up, maybe he's not a, an ideal center, but I'm probably going to have to use him down the middle. So how do I make that work? How do I make that function as best as it can? And it's probably use him in a relatively sheltered role if you're playing him down the middle. Try to boost his scoring. Put him with a couple of decent wingers uh, and, and try to shelter him as much as he can. I, I think it's more that with JT Miller than it is an actual showcase situation. Well, we need to see a lot more, obviously, from... Rick Tockett and the Canucks in general before we know like what's signal, what's noise, right? Like that's sort of one of the things that I'm kind of grappling with because, you know, in the Miller instance, like the results are eye popping, right? Like we're talking 58% control of scoring chances. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the Canucks having outscored their opposition despite like 850 goaltending with them on the ice, right? Like that to me is a really good sign. You know, if it's four goals for three goals against and your shooting percentage is low and your save percentage is low, you know, it's only a matter of time before you start running up downhill Mm -hmm. and your results catch up to your process and you become a really good line. Like there's a chance that if this Pod Coles and Miller Garland line can keep churning away like this, that they're, the Canucks might be onto something. And what's amazing is it's not just them, right? Like, the Pedersen line is cooking with oil in terms of the way they're generating and limiting the opposition's chances. Now, they've been outscored, right? Like, I think uh, I think it's, like, a fairly significant margin. But again, that's with, like, 820 goaltending. You're, you're, the moment you stabilize and, and the process or the results catch up to the process for that line, you could have something. Then that Niels Amon line's played really well. Dakota Joshua's played really well. Like, you look up and down. The Canucks are controlling play extraordinarily well. Like, 
the results don't match the Bruce Boudreaux bump. But this is a far more impressive run for me in Rick Tockett's first seven games. <laughs> Granted, right? Like I know that sounds weird to say because Bruce Boudreaux didn't lose till game nine. Yes. But the team wasn't playing differently. They were just like slightly better on the penalty kill. That was all that that was all that happened. And they were getting elite goaltending. And like a little more aggressive on the forecheck. That was the big change. Right. And they were they were skating with like that was just such a clear like vibes difference. Where they vibes. had they had more pep. Right. They they were just well, and they still, a little harder. They have more pep now. Yes. Because you're all not always, but most of the time you are gonna get that with the new coach. The new coach bump, right? But it's amazing how rapidly their ability to control play has just like fundamentally flipped in the first seven games of Tocket's tenure. Like really, I, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm reluctant to talk about it this early because it's only seven games, right? We don't know anything yet. The Canucks have also trailed a lot in these seven games and mixed within this is one of their worst games of the year, mm-hmm. which sort of soars our sample. Like, if you remove that Seattle game, the six games are even more outrageous, which is, you know, like you'd, you'd get into numbers that look unreal, which is why, you know, we, we have to be so cautious. The sample's just so small, but man, like I'm talking, I'm talking like 55 plus percent of almost every underlying category. The Canucks are really controlling play under Tocket to this point. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And the question, uh, the question is obviously how long does it last beyond the small sample size, right? And that's what we're going to see. But uh, it's it's encouraging, and I think honestly the willingness to use Patterson and Miller in the way that we were just talking about plays a big role in it. Like he's getting Patterson in a position to really impact the game at a high level, and he's doing what he can to uh, help JT Miller play a position where, for the most part, he's really struggled this year when he's been there. So do we? Do we? You know, again, it's too early, but I will say looking over Miller's results, I'm now wondering, you know, my take's always been like he's not Mm -hmm. a center, but maybe there's a more, this isn't as good as for sports talk radio, but maybe there's a more nuanced take where it's, you know, if you need JT Miller in a matchup role, he can play, you know, he's good on the wing, but he can be an effective centerman. If you shelter him. if, If he's in sort of more prescribed middle six deployment. Yeah. Which makes sense. That. Right. I mean, if you're going to increase their responsibilities, you it's need just to not limit as good the take. role a little bit. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. It kind of leaves you in a similar position where you need to find that second play-driving center in either configuration. You know what I mean? Like, you're not... I don't think you want to... If you decide you have to shelter JT Miller as a center, you're not going to be content with kind of middle-of-the-road, bottom-six centers then. Because you need somebody else that you feel confident putting out there against pretty good competition behind Pedersen. So to me, whether JT Miller's on the wing in your top six or in a kind of play driving matchup role, or whether he's down the middle at center in a sheltered role, you still need another really good center that you feel comfortable playing big. Oh yeah. No question. So that it's, you need a lot. It's not just (laughs) academic, right? No, it's not. It's more than that, but it doesn't like solve a problem. If you figure out, Oh, Hey, we can play JT Miller down the center just in a very, very tiny role. Cause you're still just leaving another role open that somebody has got to play. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And in any event, it's a point that becomes pressing only if the Canucks can maintain the sort of five-on-five form that they've found under Rick Tockett through seven games. Mm-hmm. They have to maintain that. Excuse me. 
they have to maintain that through the balance of the season and graft onto it with Demko's looming return, right? The ability to prevent goals, like at least an average NHL team. And then you might be on to something where, you know, going into next season, your third line center matters. For me, that's a big ask, right? Like, do I think this team's going to keep churning away with a 58% scoring chance differential with JT Miller on the ice? Like, probably not. Mm. Do I think they're going to do the same with the Myers-OEL pair on the ice? Like, no, I don't. So, you know, I think they're going to come back to earth. I think there's a, an extent to which we don't have a sense of how much talk it has raised this team's baseline yet. But he's certainly had the sort of start through seven games that you'd have to look at and say, that's been really good. That's like, that's within the 99th percentile best case scenario for the impact that a coach would have through seven games on a team. That's where we're trending. And, and more than anything, without getting ahead of myself, it's worth pointing out. Um, I don't know if we have time for the whole Luke Shen. No, let's audio save it for segment here. three because it's so there's so much. To yeah, get we'll into save it for there. segment three. But let's hear from Rick Tockett, uh, who was a little bit shorter than Luke Shen <laughs> leading into. I thought game. I thought my other colleagues to caption this and for people in advance. I thought my other colleagues might ask him a question, so I sort of stopped asking, thinking like, oh, it'll Tockett? come back. Well, I was like, I've asked five in a row. It'll I'll let it come back to me, and then no one else asked a question. I was like, no, I would have just kept going. Well, Talkett had a uh, Talkett had a long one yesterday uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, so he, he spoke for like seven or eight minutes yesterday. So maybe everyone got their questions out yesterday. I don't know, but anyway, yeah, here's Canucks head coach Rick Talkett. Yeah, um, whether it's Detroit or anybody, you, you know, you just want to get back into it. Um, you know, having a practice yesterday helps, so uh, be fun to fun game to play tonight. Rick, not quite a month under the job. Are you still in the evaluation process? Are you starting to see signs of how you like your team to play? And do you have the personnel to play that way? Yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I mean, it's still in the evaluation process. You know, uh, even for myself, Footy and, and Sergey, the newer guys, trying to see what you got. But um, I see a lot of positives uh, more than the negatives. I, I, I've liked the way certain parts of the game um, how we've played, um, but there's certain parts obviously we got to shore up. Spencer Mark right now are you getting closer with Thatcher Demko and what's Thatcher's status yeah we well Thatcher's getting you know he's he's getting healthier and healthier but we you know unfortunately we we, we need some practices with him in the net and so that's our goal is to get a couple more three four more practices with him in uh before he comes back but uh, he's getting close will Martin still back up tonight? yeah yeah he'll be back up um on the road trip looked like granted you didn't have full control over it uh, except in open play because you're on the road. But it looked like you were pretty comfortable playing the Pedersen line against the Larkin line, Bo Horvat, uh, Zibanejad. Um, your first week, you were talking about your job being to carve out some softer minutes, perhaps, for the Pedersen line, and yet it looks like he's your kind of your matchup guy at the moment. Um, well, I, I really I haven't had a choice. But, but, you haven't had much. No, there's, there's ways of getting around it sometimes. It which looked what, like you agreed, though. Yeah, yeah. Like it, like yeah, I mean, working. sure. Like, uh, oh, it's it's okay to go head to head, and uh, PD wants that. But uh, but I I thought our fourth line on this road trip was really really good. They were, they were really it was a good identity line for us. I thought they played well for us. And with the Pedersen line, you know, obviously the market's talking a lot about Kuzmenko's ice time. But yeah. Is, but is Pedersen facing tougher comp part of what's caused Brock to go up to that line? Um, the Kuzmenko. I don't know why we shouldn't ruffle any. Like it's it's fine. We got to build a foundation for him. Yeah, he's he's a good player, but there's aspects of his game. 
to get where we want, we need him to be better uh, in the sense of his foundation. Um, he's a talented guy. I mean, I got to get him some situations where against the other team's weakness point of their team. I get that, but we got to build a foundation. It's a long-term thing with him. It's not a short-term. So this is a, this is a process with him. And I thought Brock, uh, the last three, four games, is, you know, he's kind of produced, uh, got in there and kind of helped PD out a little bit because, you know, to play with PD, you got to have guys that are willing to, to really get in that forecheck. And, you know, you can't have Pedersen playing 200 feet, forecheck and backcheck. And I need guys that be able to hold pucks for him um, and play a two-way game. As much as, as a scorer, don't get me wrong. And uh, that's my goal with Kuzi is to get him to – he's not – nobody's perfect. But um, he's a great kid. He wants to learn too. Zones, zone matching in particular, it looks like you're doing some interesting things in terms of – the Patterson line, but especially Curtis, starting a fair bit of your defensive zone shifts. How do you view, just philosophically, how do you view zone matching uh, or utilizing players in sort of specialized roles for starts? Yeah, I, I you know, I just don't believe you can run your, I can't have Patterson and, and JJ always taking these on face. I, I got to establish a bottom six that can get some of those minutes going against the other team's best um, line and also making that their team you know, if your fourth and third line are making, you know, instant Larkin, that those type of players work hard on their end, uh, hopefully they have no juice in our end. So that's part of my philosophy too. You know, you, you got to use the bench, you know, uh, to win a Stanley Cup. You can't, you can't rely on two lines. You need everybody. And I'm trying to – that's why I'm evaluating right now. Who can do what? You know, can these guys do these – play this position at these times? Game management. Can a guy – can I stick a, these guys out with – if you're up three to two with three minutes left, um, that's what you're trying to find out now. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media uh, ahead of tonight's game against the Detroit Red Wings. Um, people are uh, upset with us, with you, for being too nice. Too nice to the Canucks, Strancer. This one comes in. It's amazing how you guys are spinning Tockett's first seven games. is impressive. You guys are caking on a lot of makeup on this ugly pig. I mean, look. Like, live by the sword, die by the sword. We pay a lot of attention to the underlying numbers and what they suggest about this team's performance. We're not going to all of a sudden ignore them when they're pointing in a more positive direction. Like, that has to be part of the story. Now, it's I've only said, seven games. It's, it's also only seven and games. And they've so been that, trailing that through most of them. That really important, too. But, like, even the games they've won, like the Islanders game or, or what have you, like, even the Chicago game. They were down for a bit, right? Even the Columbus yeah, New game. New Jersey, where they came back and got a point. They were down three goals. Yeah, but they broke those games late, right? Like... This team's trailed almost the entire time, so it's hard to know how much of this is inflated. Um, I'm not sort of reading into it a ton, but if you graph it, like, my goodness, it looks like the Canucks are onto something. At the very least, it's a trend worth monitoring uh, as the sample expands. I'm not saying it's definitive or anything, but it's a lot better than the opposite, right? Like, I'd be saying stuff like, hey, I'm starting to get concerned about XYZ if it were trending in the opposite direction. Why would I not point out Hey, like this is becoming pretty interesting when it's trending up, right? We'll see. We'll see where it goes. We'll know more after tonight. We'll know an awful lot more after Wednesday. We'll learn more after Saturday against the Blues. Like we're we're gonna keep learning here as Rick talk its sample of games as Canucks head coach expands. Saturday against Philly. What did I say? Uh, the, against the Blues. The Blues. They're at the Blues next week. Right. Sorry. Big big tank game. In my big head. In game. my head, I'm thinking about that Leafs game after the deadline mm. for some reason. So I think I said like blue jerseys. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yes. Um, some good tank results, by the way, on the weekend for the Canucks. San Jose won. 
Montreal won a couple times. Montreal. Montreal beat the Islanders, which is yes. like the perfect the Canucks perfect result. result. I, that's like that's like Canucks fans should have been fist pumping. You could not draw it up any well, better. Hey, and here and you know what? What is better than there's nothing better in terms of a tank than good process waylaid by terrible goaltending. Right, it's the ideal situation. As as all the other teams around you start winning, yeah. right? Like, this is this is what this is what a good this is what it looks like if you're doing it right. Like, for the first time all year, at least there's a chance that the Canucks can execute something that I might be like, hey, anyways, that looks good. We'll, I like that. We'll go to break because we got Gemma on the other side, but they are now narrowly closer to San Jose in terms of point percentage than they are to Montreal. So if those are two teams they're sandwiched between. They're 27th. San well, Jose is 28th. They are closer to San Jose than And sorry, for you, because I know you're a, you're a worst-case scenario tankist, uh-huh. right? Where, like, really what you're preoccupied with is them leaping yes. ahead of teams tonight. It's a big one. Big one. That, re- that was a big regulation result. It was. They well, Detroit, eight points back. Yeah, Detroit has pushed ahead. And now if you lose this one, it's like Detroit you can kind of wave goodbye to. So Canucks Bedard watch odds per the Athletic, just to leave it leave it here, are now at six percent. So they've jumped past the Philadelphia Flyers. Let's go and are in six percent. Yeah, that Philly game on Saturday is big. They're projected now to only finish five points ahead of the San Jose Sharks. So, I mean, there that's a thin margin. That it when when I wrote the like it's too late to tank piece, we couldn't no matter how we sliced it get them within ten points. Reality has interfered, <laughs> and now the Canucks are projected to be only five points clear. Uh, all of that said, the Montreal Canadiens are still projected, per Dom's model, to finish eight points below yeah, the Canucks. The schedule for Montreal it's just is so, a huge factor, so, so they gotta get they got to get all the points now. Um, we're, we'll go to a break here. Gemma Carson-Smith from the Canadian Press. Up next, it's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text line. We will get uh, Gemma Carson Smith on the phone momentarily. Uh, Mike and Willoughby text in. Drance is positive for a change, and people complain. I don't know what to tell you. Can't people can't just, win either people way. Just like people do like to complain, and you know what? Hey, if this is your <laughs> if this is where you need to get your complaints out to the six fifty six fifty Dunbar Lover text. Yeah, line, we're here. That's for you. fine. I have no issue with that. You can be you can be a little. Uh, a little grouchy, if that's how you're feeling in the inbox. It's all good. We got time for everyone. Uh, you were even like building bridges with a listener in the inbox earlier in the show, Drancer. I was impressed. Uh, he was upset that we'd laughed at one of his takes. I mean, we laugh at takes, we don't laugh at people, and I wanted to make that clear. Very that's good. it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, lots to get to in the show. As mentioned, we're going to be joined by Gemma Carson-Smith here in just a second. We'll hear from Luke Shen later in the show as well, but... 
as mentioned, now joining us as she does every Monday at this time, our friend from the Canadian press, Gemma Carsten-Smith. Gemma, how are you? I'm wonderful, though I do have a bone to pick with you gentlemen. Oh no! What's up? Yeah, yeah. You guys never told us whether the Russian ambassador was the father. <laughs> and you can't leave us hanging. Well, isn't that classic soap opera, though, where you think they're going to reveal it, and then something happens, and it gets like pushed till next week? So For maybe sure. we're maybe we're just follow, okay. living that tradition. I thought you guys were going like Yellowstone, where you just drop the plot entirely. <laughs> I need to get on the Yellowstone bandwagon. Don't, I haven't. Don't no, do it. Really? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that, bad. Sorry, my bad. I shouldn't. I'm not going to get on the yellow stand. <laughs> How dare bandwagon. you? How dare you, dreads? My, uh, uh, I'll stick to my zombie uh, mushroom zombies. Bringing the fire, uh, <laughs> the fire hockey takes and the fire uh, TV takes. Gemma Carson Smith. <laughs> I love to hear it. Uh, let's get right into it, Gemma. We uh, as we take a spin through some of the most interesting sound bites from the Canucks over the last week. First up, JT Miller. Mr. Miller. So uh, we all know the Canucks are coming off a road trip that either went. Pretty well if you're a fan of Team Tank, or pretty badly if you're still hoping for Canucks wins this season. Um, and we all know that the team was back at it for uh, practice yesterday here in Vancouver. Afterward, Miller talked about where the group's mindset is as they prepare for this three-game homestand. You know, I think a standard's becoming obvious. Um, like I keep saying, it's more of a reset for us now. Um, Bo being gone, and obviously Bruce, and should turn the page and create it. We really want to create a created identity because I think we kind of failed to do that in the first half of the year so we're pushing for that now I think there's been a lot of good things since he's been here yeah it's an interesting conversation point uh, Gemma because I think you know from a from a team perspective we understand look the coach is trying to evaluate players management is deciding who's going to stay who's going to go for the players though I mean that's all kind of above their pay grade and I'm kind of curious about how they're going to approach the final 30 games here when they know the playoffs are just completely out of the picture Absolutely. And when there has, like, like Miller said, there has been so much change in the last few weeks that um, now they're home. It's uh, kind of a real reset for them. Um, how, how do, like you said, how did they approach that? How, do they um, come out all guns blazing or, or uh, are they kind of a little more lackadaisical as we've seen several times this season? I'm, I'm really intrigued. I think that this three game homestand is going to tell us a lot about what the team looks like going forward. Um, uh, after the trade deadline in, in just a few short weeks here. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see um, what happens. Gemma, what would you say the Canucks identity has been to this point in the season? Because, I, I mean, people say, like, you know, we haven't carved out an identity. But that sort of just means that they haven't carved out an identity they like. Nothing you can hang your hat on. But this team still has an identity. What, what would you say it is? Inconsistency. Mm. That's that's what I would say. I think that we've seen them play above their level several times, and we've seen them just completely fall apart under the smallest amount of pressure several times. So you never know what you're going to get on a given night, and I think that that's, um, that's what the identity of this team is, is a bit fragile and incredibly inconsistent. Gemma, we were talking a little bit about um, improved play under Rick Talk. It hasn't necessarily been reflected in the results, but if you look at some of the underlying numbers, you can see uh, an upward trajectory. How much of that do you think is something that could potentially be sustainable, and how much of it is just kind of the classic new coach bump uh, that we're familiar with here in Vancouver? That's a great question. I think that a lot of that will depend on who's still here after uh, March 3rd. Um, I, I we we took we've taken some guesstimations 
Um, but we really don't know. Um, there are so many rumors swirling, and, and trade deadline seems to be um, uh, this season something that a lot of teams are approaching very cautiously because of the salary cap. So I don't, I don't know um, how we evaluate this team going forward until we know who's on it. That all said, I do think that the new coach bump, um, it always brings a new juice and a new energy to a team. Uh, I don't know how long we'll, we'll see it last. We obviously saw it last quite a while under Boudreaux, but uh, that also created confidence within the group. And I, we ha- I don't think we've seen that yet. I don't think this group is playing with confidence just yet. Um, like you said, the underlying numbers look good. They've, they've played some good games. Like even some of those losses on that road trip were not, terrible losses i mean detroit aside that was ugly but uh i think that you're seeing positives it's just about getting everyone to um have a little more confidence buy in a little bit more and uh and then we'll see how the next 30 odd games go and on miller specifically just before we move on to the uh the next quote here what have you thought of his performance he's been playing strictly down the middle under Rick Tockett in a little bit of a different role, though, when you look at who he's matching up with. Uh, what have you seen from JT Miller? I think that Tockett's being very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's he's being very um, uh, methodical about how he uses JT Miller, especially at five on five. Um, he's, he's really protecting him. He's trying to give him uh, the tools he needs to succeed, but also not put him in situations where he's just going to fall apart. Um, and I, I think it's worked for him. I, I don't know how sustainable it is going forward, just because, uh, I, I mean, he's now ostensibly your number two center on this team. Can you be babying him that yeah. much, like protecting him that much? I, I, I would argue no, especially at the salary that he comes in next year. Uh, speaking of Rick Tockett, let's hear from the uh, Canucks' new head coach. Set this one up for us, Gemma. Mm-hmm. So there were some real options for Tockett quotes from <laughs> last week. He's uh, definitely been open about how yep. he feels about how this team is doing. Um, so we're going to listen in on how he felt about the Canucks uh, in their 5-4 loss to the Rangers on Wednesday. we got to value little plays. Wall plays, when you don't have a – you have nothing, the puck has to go deep. We still – there's bad habits that filter uh, that we have to get rid of. Um, but, you know, we had a chance at the end you know, to get in there, but there's just some value plays that we have to – that's team identity. Team identity. That word again. Um, what was your big takeaway from Talkett's comments there, Gemma? Besides that we have the letter I on our uh, Canucks ABCs. <laughs> um, no, I I think he's right. And I think it's what we just talked about is that those inconsistencies, like you're playing a good game, but those, those bad habits creep in. You're playing a good game, but then you take seven penalties. It's... Um, it's the same things that we see over and over again from this team. Um, and that Jekyll and Hyde has kind of become the identity. Um, and I, I can't imagine how frustrating that is for a new coach to come in and take that over and try and be working all of that out. So I'm, uh, I'm not surprised to hear some of the other things that we've heard from Talkit over the last week. Gemma, there's been a lot of talk about like the plays that he values. Do you have a good sense in watching, you know, Besser get elevated and Stillman get elevated and Dakota Joshua get elevated and some and Pod Colson play a fair bit? Like, do you have a good sense in seeing who Tockett's 
expanding in terms of their role and who he's sort of diminishing in terms of their role. Do you have a good sense of what those plays are or what that style is that he seems to value? Um, it reminds me a bit of Travis Green, to be mm. honest. Um, and Talkative talks so much about how he and Greeny, hilarious nickname, um, are buddies. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see that because we know that um, Greener liked those kind of down on the farm, like rough and tumble kind of um, forwards who were going to play big. And it seems that's not how I would generally describe Besser, but um, uh, the other guys that we mentioned there are, are those kind of players. So I think that that's more um, what we're seeing. Uh, I'm intrigued to see that Besser's been elevated and that he's, he's, in a lot of ways, elevated his own game, right? Um, four points uh, the other night. Um, he's He's been a little bit more consistent producing. Uh, he's got a ton of assists over, over the last seven games or whatever Pockett's uh, been coaching now. So he's, he's taken advantage of the opportunities he's been given. Um, I don't know that he fits into the same group as the other guys. I think that he might be more of a um, let's try and juice his numbers ahead of March 3rd uh, and trade deadline. But um, he's, he's, I think he's risen to the occasion a little bit here. The other letter we have checked off for the uh, the ABCs of the Canucks is a W for Wall Guy, which has you know <laughs> shot up in the lexicon since Rick Tockett has taken over. We've heard him talk about it, use it you know positively in reference to obviously Pod Colson, Dakota Joshua, and I, I guess you know does Andre Kuzmenko need to learn to be a Wall Guy to get back into uh, Rick Tockett's good graces here? Yes, absolutely. He does need to learn how to be a Wall Guy. He also needs how to learn how to play defense. Um, that's I think that's more of what uh, Talkett and the rest of the coaching staff want from uh, Kuzmenko. I think they're, I mean, he's been called out like by name. Uh, that never feels good. I think that's got to be tough for a guy, but uh, he's, I think he's going to be just fine. He's, he's still adjusting to the NHL. This is still his first year in this league. He's done a lot of good things for the Canucks, but he's, he's got a, he's definitely got work to do. And uh, part of that is learning how to win those wall battles and learning how to um, be good at both ends of the ice. In conversation with Gemma Karsten Smith, she covers the Canucks for the Canadian press here on Canucks talk Sportsnet six fifty, And one of those players uh, that has had increased opportunity and, you know, has potential to be a, a really effective wall guy is Dakota Joshua. Uh, he's next up for a, a quote from Joshua Gemma. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that uh, Target was talking about was bad habits. And uh, we saw a lot of those bad habits in that 5-2 loss to the Red Wings on Saturday. Uh, here's Dakota Joshua talking about what exactly went wrong in that game. Once again, just uh, a lot of shooting ourselves in the foot tonight. Not the, the winning recipe that uh, we came in uh, to the game with. And then, uh, yeah, you catch yourself trying to battle back for, for pretty much 55 minutes in the game. And like you said, not, not a good recipe. Yeah, that phrase, shooting ourselves in the foot, that uh, is another, you know, when we talk about the identity, that has been definitely part of the Canucks' identity this season, Gemma. Well, that's exactly it. And again, inconsistency. It, they were coming off a 6-5 win over the Islanders on Thursday on the back end of the back-to-back, and then they go out and play like that. It's, it, shooting yourself in the foot, that's the definition right there. But one guy who hasn't been shooting himself in the foot is Joshua. He's been a standout um, in the last seven games under Talkett for good reason. Um, he's, he's really elevated his game. Um, he's 
been playing big, like we said, and like you said, he's winning those wall battles. So I'm not surprised to see him um, getting accolades under the new coach. What do you think the ceiling is for Dakota Joshua in terms of the type of role he could evolve into with this team down the road? That's a good question. Um, I think he's a guy who uh, we saw at the beginning of the season that he had more than he's been able to show or that he was able to show in St. Louis. And he was really excited to um, kind of embrace that and and be a bit of a grinder for this team. Um, I don't, And then he kind of fell off through the middle of the year. So I think he's just embracing opportunities. I think he's ready to take whatever is assigned to him and just kind of devour it in the best way he can. Um, And I think that the role he's been playing under Tockett suits his style a little bit better than um, how he was utilized under Boudreaux. Uh, last player that we're going to hear from on this week uh, is Anthony Bovillier, one of the pieces in the Bo Horvat trade. Maybe not the most exciting from a future perspective for Canucks fans, but the guy who is in the lineup uh, skating with Elias Pettersson and having a little bit of success so far as well, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys know this or not, but sometimes us media folks get criticized for being too negative about this team. I know it's shocking. Not today, um, if you can believe it, uh, Drance is getting criticized for being too positive about the team. People are upset that he said things are trending in a positive direction under Tockett. So it's, uh, it's because he, he <laughs> hasn't said rebuild in the last 15 minutes. So that's why people are mad. Yeah, he's missing his quota. Yeah, exactly. And there's someone out there who gets like five cents every time he says the word rebuild. So. Um, <laughs> I think I it's Canberra. It <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I want to end today on a positive note. Um, and that's uh, how Bovillia has been fitting in, in, fitting in into the system. Let's hear to let's listen into old Tito talk about uh, how he felt after the Canucks beat the Islanders 6-5 on Thursday. Um, definitely a relief, but honestly, just happy to get the win here and uh, coming back in this building. And it was a weird day, but so happy to get out here with the win. And guys battled hard and paid the price. A lot of commitment. And feels great to win. What commitment do you think Beauvillier is specifically referring to there, Gemma? I, I think the commitment to continue playing offensively, to not sit back, to not fall apart at the slightest sign of adversity. Um, and that's not something we've always seen from this team. We've, we've already talked about it today. Um, this team can be fragile, and they didn't look very fragile against the Islanders. So um, I, I would say that's a sign of progress, but then we saw Saturday. So who knows? <laughs> um, Saturday, the, like, so, you you talked about we talked about inconsistency in the Canucks identity. Are you seeing that sort of inconsistency roll over, or do you think a lot of what we're seeing now is just goaltending? Oh man, the goaltending. Um, yeah, it's not. I, I, yeah, but I mean, so much last season was hidden by incredible goaltending. So, like, right. it's. I don't know. It's just two different sides of the same coin. But, uh, yeah, the goaltending has not been good. Um, it's, like, the most obvious statement on the face of the planet. <laughs> um, but it's also not the goaltender's fault, right? Um, obviously, there are goals that Delia and, Sp- and Spencer Martin would love to have back in every game they've played. At the same time, playing behind that defense has got to be the most maddening thing on the face of the planet because it's not just that 
they're bad, but you don't know what kind of bad they're going to be on a given night. And that kind of inconsistency for a goaltender has got to be like crazy making. Gemma, we know you're going to be great every week. So uh, we appreciate the consistency from you. Thanks as always for doing this and uh, we'll chat next week. Thanks, friends. Have a great week. That is Gemma Carstens smith covering the Canucks for the Canadian Press uh, and uh, joining us every he- every Monday here on the show. I meant to read this to Gemma, but uh, somebody texted in at the beginning of the hit. Shout out to our to your guest, Gemma Carstens smith Been reading her articles since she was at the Martlet at UVic. So going all the way back to the university days uh, following our pal Gemma. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We're going to hear from Luke Shen in the final segment. I did want to flag this for everyone as well. There's an interesting interview up right now at sportsnet.ca with our colleague Ian McIntyre with the Canucks general manager, Patrick Alvin. Lots to get into. Talks a little bit about the uh, the Bo Horvat trade, his perspective on Atu Ratu, uh, him going to the AHL, Niels Hoaglander, among other topics. One of those topics is Brock Besser and uh, – iMac asks him, it's been widely reported that his agent, Ben Hankinson, has been involved for more than two months in helping identify potential trade partners. And Alvin says, I don't want to force anything. As I've said, we're 27th in the league, and I'm trying to find solutions where I can help the players get better. How can I push the players? How can I support them in a role where they can play to their strengths and be the best version of themselves? And in this particular case, I think Brock Besser is still a young player. The team wasn't good off the start from training camp, and Brock had his injury and never really got going. I will say that I think Brock has been playing his best hockey here over the last few games. More energy, better pace, more involved. He's getting his points, and a lot of them are 5-on-5, five five, which is pretty impressive. I still believe that he's a good player, and I don't want to give up on him. So the big takeaways for me there are the beginning and the end. I don't want to force anything, and then at the end, I still believe that he's a good player, and I don't want to give up up on him which is of course interesting because if you're going to trade Brock Besser at the deadline you're doing it at a reduced return and probably even having to make the salaries work in some way by retaining money or taking on another contract. Okay sorry I want to read one can I read one? Yes. Before the season asks Ian McIntyre you identified five core players Horvat, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko with Mm -hmm. Bogon does that mean you have four untouchables? Good question. To which Patrick responds, I do think that we have some untouchables. We've got some really key pieces, and I believe we're trending the right way here, based on what evidence. Look at the history of this. Sorry, he didn't say that. That's me yeah. annotating. I'm I'm just being snide. Look at the history of this team, and you've covered it. I mean, the bubble year in 2020, when the Canucks won two playoff rounds, I would take that year away because the good teams didn't want to play. Yeah, some of the younger players that got a first taste in the playoffs and didn't have families, everything was great, but it's such a long time since this organization had success. What we're trying to do here, and part of that was to bring in Rick Tockett, is create this culture, the standard, find the identity of this team again, which I think has been lost. That was the other one that stood out to me. Well, I mean, first of all, the bubble team is not real, is amazing. Secondly, yeah. just absolute, throw, that out. Absolute, throw that out is what Patrick Alvin is saying. There is no relationship between the question and the answer there. Yeah. It's phenomenal. He says, I do think we have some untouchables, and then he just goes in a different direction. And then it's literally like hockey executive word salad. No, except for... None of it makes sense. No, 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 no. The part about throwing out the bubble makes sense. I don't follow it logically. What's he, what's he, why would you throw out the bubble and then say we're... Tr- why would you say we're trending in the right direction? Throw out the bubble. It's been a long time since we had success. What we he's to... saying is the bubble was fake, and so when you, once you factor in that, 
this team hasn't made the playoffs since 2015. That's what oh, he's okay, saying. Okay. I think that's what he's saying. It's been it, once you remove the bubble, it hasn't just been three years since this team has had success. It's been eight years so then, since this team has had. So any then, success. why are we? Why are why why have you been trying to make the playoffs again? I think that's like, a great question. Why have you not accepted that this core can't be supplemented and gone about? Because if you throw things? out the bubble year, then there's nothing, nothing to for believe this iteration in. There's of the nothing team no, to even hang, hold on to. to hang their hat on. To hang your hat on. Yeah. So then, I mean, isn't it the, it? At that point, why is it? Why was it not a, you know, complete rebuild from day one? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. Because once, as I said, once you discount the bubble, and I think it's a fair perspective that he has. I don't. I mean, I disagree. In that, the bubble team, like, we'll never know if the team from the bubble was real or not mm. over the long haul because the club lost every single unrestricted free agent from that team and instead decided to sign Braden Holtby trade for Nate Schmidt and keep Jake Vertanen like uh, just a hat trick of brutal decisions while losing Tanev and Mark I mean we will just never know because the club cut off its nose to spite its face and save a buck during the pandemic responded in a way that no other NHL team did going from being a consistent you know real spending team to being bottom 10 eighth last in salary expenditure that season and the club never came back from it like we'll never know we'll never know now Alvin can't come out and say that right but I just don't think it's fair to be like well the good teams didn't want to play like the Tampa Bay Lightning won yeah that was their first though and they were coming off the they were coming off the uh, brutal loss. I mean, Colo- Colorado wanted to be there. Vegas wanted to be there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I look. I mean, I think it's easy to say. It's a, it's it's a, easy it's a convenient to, thing. It's, it's no, a no, no. convenient thing for a Pittsburgh Penguins AGM <laughs> after that team got eliminated <laughs> in the first round by the Montreal Canadiens. But it's easy to, say, to read between the lines or the play-in by the Montreal Canadiens and look at St. Louis specifically as well. Well, right? sure, the defending no. cup champs. I mean, and that's the fair. that's the team that's most germane to the Canucks. Well, but the St. Louis Blues may not have wanted to play, but the moment they got on the ice against the Canucks they didn't want to lose to the Canucks yeah anyone involved with that team will tell you that so anyway I just think that's a convenient way to be like yeah the Montreal Canadiens whatever so what we lost in the like Alvin's experience is to disregard the bubble anyway it's a little convenient (laughs) but you're right the rest of the answer does not really address it doesn't it doesn't make touchables are if the team is that is that bad to the point where you're saying, like, even after the bubble, they had no hope. That was a complete mirage. Why has have they doubled down on it? It's just maddening to me, Jamie. None of it ever makes sense. Yeah, I don't have the answer. All right, well, I now no one's going to say I'm being too positive. So <laughs> let's leave go. it there. We'll you've get into your, Shen on the other hit side. Your negativity quotient for the well, day. I just want, like, you know. I get that people want hope. You know, we, a lot of people were like, you're yes. so hopeless after the segment we did on Friday. And I actually thought I may have gone too far. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, fans can have hope. But if you want analysts to have hope, you have to earn it. You have to actually like provide a pathway where it makes sense that like good things could be ahead. And like the talk out of both sides of your mouth thing that this organization does continuously. Like, you can't, I just, none of this makes sense to me, ever. None of it, it's, it's like I'm constantly being asked to admit that 2 plus 2 equals 5. Like, that I abandon my sense of experience and history in analyzing this team, and I, I just, I can't do it. At some point, they need to say something that actually squares. 
Uh, we will continue to talk a little bit about what Patrick Alvin had to say, plus hear from Luke Shed and talk about the trade rumors and reports surrounding the Canucks defenseman. Final segment coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, we've teased it a couple times throughout the course of the show. We will hear from Luke Shen, uh, his conversation with the media today at Rogers Arena, and the reason why it's a little more interesting than your typical player game day availability, of course, is Luke Shen's name has been in trade reports, trade rumors, for obvious reasons. For a while now, Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast mentioning that it seems like Shen trade talks have accelerated, maybe the the specter of an injury playing a part in that, and it feels like it's something that could happen uh, not you know, in three weeks at the deadline, but at any point now. And obviously that's reporting. We'll see what actually happens. But that is the context uh, for the Luke Shen discussion right now. So that's interesting. We can talk a little bit about that. But it's also interesting to uh, to hear from a player about how they're feeling, how they're reacting, how they are approaching a situation like this. And here is Luke Shen speaking to the media at Rogers Arena this morning. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there's lots of chatter on the league, obviously, when you get this close to the trade deadline and um, things start to pick up. I mean, not my first time kind of going through a trade deadline. Um, you know, probably, I guess maybe my first time where there's a lot more chatter for sure, I guess, individually. But, um, you know, like I said all along, uh, I love playing in Vancouver and I stand by that. Um, you know, want to continue to play here and, and going forward, uh, that's that's you know, what I try to focus on is, is, you know, doing the best I can for this organization and, and playing for this team. But there's obviously, you know, people uh, above my pay grade making the decisions on the business front. So um, totally out of my control. I, I don't, it's not like, you know, some guys in the league have a little bit more say of, um, you know, trade protection. Obviously that's, that's not my card. So uh, yeah, we'll just see how things play out. Considering the situation at now, is it at least nice to have some transparency or communication, I guess? Yeah, I mean that's that's the whole other element on this. That's 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 probably the most uh, difficult and stressful part of the whole situation. Um, uh, lots of conversations going on, obviously, with her and kind of uh, you know different scenarios. And um, you know, most people in life don't have to you know think about you know probably moving, you know, whether going to have a baby, and let alone uh, you know maybe move across town in the same city not this is you know you don't even know what country or state or province you're going to go to and I think it's just logistically challenging because um you know you get doctors and stuff you're dealing with and then obviously moving and finding a place and you know we got two other kids as well too so the whole thing is you know it's uh it's kept us up at night at some times uh, on, on that front Luke I don't think people realize just all of that that's affected maybe 10 years ago no problems. I'll go wherever you want me to go. But as you mentioned, pregnant wife, you've got kids at home. What are those conversations like with your wife? Obviously, she knows how competitive you are. You'd like to win, but at the same time, she knows that you're a, f- a father, family man. What are those conversations like? 
Uh, you know what? It, this is a an interesting uh, situation, just because actually the with our with our second child we had in uh, Tampa Bay, and you know it was right in the start of COVID, and then two months in I left, uh, you know, to go to the bubble, and was was gone for 90 days there, and. Uh, I left when he was two months old and came back when he was five months old. So I've already kind of left her high and dry with a newborn. So uh, definitely don't want to ha- that to happen again. So, yeah, obviously, um, you know, first and foremost, you want to be there for, for your family. Obviously, anyone who's uh, a husband or father would, would agree with that. that that's, that's important. And uh, then you got the, the career and the, the business side of things, too, that is totally out of your control. Um, you know, Besides the pro sports world, you can't really be told where you're moving uh, in the drop of a hat uh, in this circumstance. So obviously, uh, you know, it's a, it's a unique circumstance. Um, you know, kind of uh, we'll just figure it out as it comes. Is there a conversations with the team? Like, is there an ideal scenario for you in terms of timing? Like, if it were to happen, it's better to happen quick. Like, are those sorts <laughs> of conversations part of navigating this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ne- next question. Yeah, I mean, that, that would have been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even want to answer that. It would have been. Yeah. No worries. No, no question on that one. Yeah. Um, sorry. With uh, with uh, Vancouver in particular, right? You, you came here on waivers from Anaheim. Didn't want to leave. It worked out pretty well for you in Tampa Bay, and obviously you came back. Obviously, this city, this province, looms pretty large in your imagination. Does that play a role too? In sort of the conversations that'll lead up to March 3rd? Uh, about staying here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, of, of course. I mean, um, I obviously love love playing here, and like I said, I, I kind of grew up following the team, and, you know, these guys, you know, this organization gave me my first chance when I was, you know, down and out looking for a second chance to resurrect my career and get things back on track, and, you know, the Canucks were the organization that stepped up and gave me that chance, and, uh, you know, at free agency at that time, you know, they had some other players coming in um, that I knew about. I think they're, you know, they're signing Myers and Jordy Ben and I think Stetchers. Or like there's just, you know, a lot of a lot of demand and it was a bit of a log jam. And I thought to continue to build, you know, career my career on a, on a personal level, you know, you try to look at organizational depth and options. So, you know, that's just kind of the the um, the mindset at that time. And, you know, coming back here it was the same thing. Well, you know, what's what's the next step and continue to try to build your career. And on top of that, I said, uh, you know, I've really appreciated the the second chance I got from the organization the first time around, and I wanted to continue that. And you know, signing here, uh, what, what was it, two summers ago? Um, it wasn't with the goal of you know sign here and try to get traded again. It was you know try to obviously hang around and, and be on the two years. And obviously, like I said, uh, things change over time with uh, organizational needs and where things are at. Um, you know, it's not like I said my first time around where I'm in this business and trying to figure things out what, what they're thinking. I mean, it's it's a business. I understand that, and um, you know, I still want to be part of the solution. But like I said, uh, those those uh, answers are you know not in my control. Part of the conversation might be as well that you know there's value for you because of how well you've played this year. So how do you look at it from that perspective that you're sought after as well? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Obviously, I mean. Uh, you know, there's always different problems to have, I guess. I mean, it's uh, a couple of years ago, you're just want, trying to be wanted by anyone. And, uh, you know, now you're at the point where, you know, you're wanted and and uh, it's a compliment for sure. But you want to be wanted that, uh, for me, it's it's always been to be wanted in Vancouver. So, I mean, yeah, there's it's, it's an honor to be uh, recognized, I guess, throughout the league. Teams and management are watching, you know, every game. And to be in people's conversations, it's, uh, you know, 
I I'm happy because it's it's not the same conversations that were a few years ago. But at the same time, I mean, uh, you know, you always want to be wanted, uh, you know, by by your current team as well. That is Canucks defenseman Luke Shen speaking at length, very openly about the situation he finds himself in right now. Or obviously, you know, didn't say he knows he's going to get traded, but speaking with a, a pretty significant level of acceptance or expectation that that could be the case before the trade deadline, how that impacts his family, his mindset and everything. Uh, really fascinating, really frank, really open from uh, from Luke Shenranser. For sure. The most loaded part, though, was the non-answer when I asked him about if an expedited trade would have been in his family's interest. And it wasn't a classic, like, if you listen to the audio closely, right? Because everyone's first reaction when a guy says no comment or next question is like they were mad about the question Mm -hmm. but like Shen was trying to figure out how to answer it like he wanted to answer it he just didn't want to you know stir the pot unnecessarily it it clearly um obviously for his family be having the opportunity to get settled well in advance would have been preferable and yet this situation has dragged out and we've talked at length about the need to handle this one delicately and and respectfully of the player and his family situation. And obviously to this point it's dragged out, although there are reports from the likes of Elliot Friedman that maybe something could be imminent. Um, we'll see where this goes, but I think we're already p- sort of past the point where, you know, his, his family would have the o- opportunity to really settle in. It's yeah. It, it's, I, I don't know the you exact know details, more. but like that ship has sailed to I, me again, without knowing the exact details of due date and yada, 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 and all that, like, if you're, if we're talking three or four weeks out, like you're settled, you're settled where you are. Do you ever think about the word "family man" being a very strange word? <laughs> I know what you mean. You know, yes. it's like "family man" gazintight. What? <laughs> <laughs> I lost you there. But anyways, well, as a uh, as a quote unquote family man, I mean, the part that stood out to me there was leaving a two month old to go into the bubble. For and sure, you come back home and they're five months old. It's like if you've had kids, that's a, that's a really difficult time. You've missed a lot. <laughs> yeah, you've missed a lot, and you've left your you've left your wife home with a with a two to five month old well, and, and in, another kid. And in Shen's case, he like came back and his five month old had a six pack <laughs> biceps. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, it's a it's a a difficult situation clearly, and you can tell. Uh, you know, one one of the one of the very good people in that Canucks yes. locker room struggling to really handle just how complicated it is for him and his family, given their uh, situation away from the rink. Yeah. And again, we'll see what ultimately happens, as mentioned, Elliot Friedman, suggesting that something could be uh, could be percolating. But on it doesn't Luke seem Chen. like Shen will be held out. So nope. it can't be that close. No. Nope. And uh, and we'll see where this nope, goes. Not you know, the Jacob Chikrin. No. With Shen. Well, even though he almost got hurt the other game. Um, will will you be surprised at this point if Luke Shen's dealt? I feel like I will be. No, I won't be. I won't be. I mean... I will the be. The deal on the... Ex- I just don't think they're going to get him to sign an extension. Like, I don't think he's making three, like you do. I definitely think he is. But I, st- I think he's in line for enough that it doesn't make sense for them to sign the extension. Like, are they really going to sign him to Sorry, three years, 2.5? No, there's no level that makes sense to resign him, I agree. But it's not even going to be like, you can lie to yourself and say that it makes sense. 
it's going to be clearly, well, we can't do that deal. We have to trade him. Yeah. And I think the fact that we're hearing from Elliot Friedman that it's really picked up probably indicates they know that's the case, and they know that the return is going to be decent enough to make well, them And, and we'll it. see where it goes with Ethan Bear, too, because that that's the other one where you know right-handed defensemen tend to fetch something. I don't know that Ethan Bear will fetch what Luke Shen will, uh, given Luke Shen's more traditional skill set mm-hmm. and sort of... The- Stanley Cup Luke Shen is like plug and play on your Stanley Cup contending roster. Yeah. Like zero questions about what the role is going to be, what his fit is going to be, how he's going to fit in, any of that. It's like the easiest, most straightforward, least risky deadline trade you could do is acquire Luke Shen. Whereas Bear's more in like the high-end Robert Hag category, right? He's better than Robert Hag, who got a a sixth-round pick last year Mm -hmm. for Buffalo, right? Um, But, you know... Those talks are ongoing, and yet I think the proximity to UFA and the combination of a high QO and arbitration rights makes that a really complicated one. You know, like, obviously the club would prefer to keep Ethan Bear. He's playing a lot. He's playing really well for Rick Tockett. But do you really, like, are you betting on him as a top four guy? Are you are you going to do four million times three or four years? Whew. I don't think you can. But that's what it's going to take to buy three UFA years. But if you're talking about, like, what's the the multi-year process that this team is kind of engaged in and should be engaged in is, like, re-rationalizing how you're spending your money mm-hmm. and is committing that much to a guy who might top out as a, a nice number five, does that really help you deconstruct the blue line and free up the caps no, but how, need how, to get so how do you how do you pay, like it's hard to pay him as a five unless you do a one-year deal i agree and maybe that's the case maybe they do but, the one year but deal. why what i mean aren't you just kicking the can down the road uh-huh. wouldn't you be better off just having cap space probably well what do you think the one-year deal would be two and a half three yeah to me that would make i would be much less surprised if they do a one-year deal than if they do like three or four at term and at a, at a higher cost. I think by the time I get to a one-year deal, though, I'm thinking, man, I mean, I, I'm I'm better off with the cap space and a draft pick that I can use to trade for a guy like Ethan Bear. You know, like there's going to be a guy like Ethan Bear. I might be even able to trade back for Ethan Bear. Yes. You know, or or the t- or I trade him to a contender, I get a pick, that team's not going to qualify him and I can bid in free agency. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that this could go where, you know, unless unless I can get like a pretty team friendly settlement, I'm I'm at least considering if I'm the Canucks, moving him as well. I just don't see I don't see the upside, just enough upside with Ethan Bear to justify going to like four years and paying him what it would cost to keep him for four years. Like yeah. there's, there's way more no, downside on I, that bet to me than upside. I think, I think something more like two would make sense is like a guy who can play minutes during the downturn years and maybe, and maybe show you something more, but I, I almost want to see more before I, before I make that bet. Well, that's the question though. Then does the one year, is that that's like not enough. in the middle? That's not enough. But do you at least you retain the flexibility beyond that year and you potentially set yourself up to move at the deadline? Next year, right? Like to me, that's it's the yeah, it is kicking the can down. But the why road. wouldn't I do that now? You could do that now, but yeah. it's like, do you want to see another forty games of it? That's the question. Yeah, and it, do you I want mean, to see it would be almost eighty games? Do you want to see it under Rick Tockett? Yeah, right. So you give yourself a low risk option to see it under Rick Tockett, 
you keep your options. I open just, I just, forward. it's hard to get that settled before the deadline because what's his incentive to do a team friendly deal? Like he's got Arbright's. Yep. You know, like there's his best deal comes in July if it's a one year deal. And Ryan on the road says, uh, is the Ethan Bear RFA situation even that big of a deal if this team isn't so screwed cap wise? <laughs> and I do think that's a good point. Like, yeah, no, this not. is pretty. This is pretty in the weeds. Not that these decisions don't matter, but I also think this is something that could look a lot different if they do find some other way to clear a significant chunk of ca- chunk of cap space. Where then you're looking at it and saying, okay, they have this cap space. One of the productive things they can do at it is take another, you know, bring back Ethan Bear, play him with Rick Tockett for a while, see what that does. Maybe he's a long term fit, or maybe he still has some value to move at the deadline. It's the the situation they're in now, though, where they're still so desperate to try to clear out any significant cap space. Like, Ryan on the road is right. It ends up, you, you get in the situation where you have to think so long and hard about committing even relatively modest numbers to decent players next year because you're so tied up against the cap. And, like, Tyler Myers, I mean, he's got that signing bonus that's due in September, right? Like, that's going to be really hard to move in time to be active with that cap space this summer. So... I don't think it's like, oh, Ethan Bear is going to be so inefficient. You have to find a way to get off that deal. But when you look at the rest of their cap sheet, every little bit counts so much for this team right now yeah. as they try to free it up. Well, and and I mean, with Spencer Martin suddenly being like a question mark, right? Like now the team is basically – now that Spencer Martin has lost the backup job to Colin Delia, right? You sort mm-hmm. of have to factor in that there's like another role they have to fill. And remember, we now live in a world where your average backup costs two plus million dollars, yep. right? So, um, you know, currently, just just to give everyone a sense, and this is with like twelve forwards on the roster, including the likes of Stanika, Dries, Joshua, all of all of whom are variable. So there's things you can change here: Hughes, Ekman, Larson, Stillman, Myers, Demko. Let's assume that Tanner Pearson's. Not on LTI necessarily yet. Okay. I think it's premature for that, but Pullman is. Okay. And then M- Ilya Mikheyev obviously will we'll come back. That's 13 forwards signed, uh, but only one right-handed defenseman. Assuming a $85 million cap, so we'll assume that there's like slightly better than flat, but mm-hmm. not world's better. S- you know, 7.81 million in cap space with five pieces to sign as it stands. Um, yeah, it's not a lot. And, and one of those needs it might need to be like a $2 million well, backup. And subtract another almost million dollars from Kuzmenko's likely ELC bonuses, right? Um, you know, it, yeah, it gets dicey pretty fast uh, unless you start to move your Bessers or your Garlands or your Millers and or consider buying them out. The backup goalie thing is going to be really interesting going into next season as well because... We're still kind of waiting to see, like, what's the goal going to be for next year? Obviously, and that's fine. Like, we're, we're not even at the trade deadline, trade deadline this season, so they don't have to have articulated that yet. But let's say they are in a world where it's full-on, run it back, retool on the fly. You know, hey, we got Anthony Beauvillier. We're pushing for the playoffs. We're going to go sign a UFA or two. Like, in that world, you need to spend a little bit of money on a backup. You have to. Well, and let's but not – if. It doesn't really make a lot of sense for your cap situation to go spend a little money money on a backup. Let's not ignore either. Thatcher Demko has played more than 60 games once in his professional career, and he got injured toward the back end of that season, and when the club regrouped this season, struggled and then got hurt again. 
Like, are you counting on Thatcher Demko to be a workhorse next season if you're going yep. for it? No chance. You got to be. You got to be billing him at like 50-50 games. Yeah, between fifty and fifty-five. So you better find someone pretty reliable. And guess what? Someone pretty reliable costs two and a half million. Yeah, there, we we I think we're both pretty positive about the upside on the Spencer Martin bat, but there's also downside, and we saw the downside. Now again, he was thrust into a really really yeah. difficult situation. But if your goal is, I think it's a it's a good lesson that if your goal is playoffs, you have to know how much you can ride Thatcher Demko and what you need, the confidence you have to have in your backup. Just to like a final thought is the more you unpack this, like what are the Canucks going to do in goal? It's like, man, that's going to be hard to navigate. What are the Canucks going to do down the right side of their defense where they only have Myers signed and aren't close to good enough? Like that's going to be hard. The, on Even on the left side of their defense, is Hughes, OEL, Stillman playoff quality? One through three? You know, and then you look at the forward group, and and look, there's some promise, but there's also some major question marks. And in among that, you know, under eight million dollars that they have to have to throw around, we're including, you know, extending Hoaglander and Dermot's qualifying offer and Bear's qualifying offer. And the more you look at it holistically, the the more plates you see them needing to spin to accomplish <laughs> anything. You realize starting again is so clearly the best call available to this organization and even when you look at it just for next year like just take be willing to take it's not doable be willing to continue that step back sorry it's not not doable it's possible it's just so unlikely yeah relative to embracing the pain for like 10 minutes with some focus for 10 minutes seriously (laughs) well for as long as it takes for us to pretend that the bubble didn't happen yeah Uh, all right we gotta go thanks for listening enjoy the game tonight we will be back tomorrow canucks talk sportsnet 650